0: Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host Shane Hazen, and with me is again, once again, Ted Haycraft. I'm back again, and all the way off of in Austin, Texas, Lonnie Gonzalez.
1: Hi, Shane. Hi, Ted. <laughs>
0: Hello. <laughs> Said so meekly.
1: Hi, Shane. <laughs> uh,
0: this week we are discussing Michael Mann's misbegotten uh, 1983 <laughs> film, The Keep, uh, which. Uh, Ted has seen many more times than I have. I've probably, I, I think, I just watched it for my fifth time uh, today.
1: Okay. Lonnie, I,
0: I got a feeling you watched it for the first time.
1: I did for the first time last night.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to hear your <laughs> scorn. But uh, let's go ahead and start out. You, uh, what will we watch? Interesting. Um, Lion, did you watch anything cool this week?
1: Uh, yeah. So I have a uh, a Hulu trial going on right now, so I am like tearing through any movies that i might have missed from the year that are on hulu and i watched a movie called the assistant this week um which i thought was an interesting movie it's not one that i it's kind of so mundane because it just follows kind of a day in the life of a woman who is an assistant at a uh, for a harvey weinstein type uh media mogul and uh it it was just more of like giving you things to think about rather than being like um, wildly entertaining, but uh-huh. <laughs> certainly has things to recommend
0: it. I think the movie's more relevant in the last few weeks just because it feels more like a Scott Rudin than a Harvey Weinstein, even though Scott Rudin was a production head. I mean and... both, but I mean yeah. like I I wasn't I was thinking very specifically. Everyone was pushing the Harvey Weinstein thing when it came out, and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just something about the like Harvey Weinstein didn't have the reputation necessarily of being mean to his underlings as much. Like he yelled at people, but Scott Rudin had the reputation right. of being super mean to everyone who was not talent. And the thing that, that really, I think I, I, I saw that movie a while back and did a mention on here on an open out, remember which episode I got a little bit of PTSD from that movie. so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's just interesting. I mean, maybe it's, um, you know, you don't have to say it's making specific parallels to, uh, you know, one person necessarily. But uh, I just think it does, as someone who loves movies and loves the fact that movies are made, uh, but also knowing people that make movies and understanding that a lot of the people who have been in power and still are decision makers, um, you know, that a lot of the whole system that puts the movies out is not the best place for people to work and not the healthiest place. And it kind of, you know, it kind of makes me uh, I cringe a little bit as someone who like loves movies, but also knowing that like people are being taken advantage of and abused. And I just, you know, it just kind of uh, makes you think about, you know, this thing that you love, but it's also a very, uh, you know, unhealthy environment that's sometimes producing it
0: i think the frustrating thing is there's no real reason for it's it's a power dynamic and a hierarchy right. that doesn't it's that's it's not an efficient way of making creative stuff i would also recommend i just recently read this sticking on my scott rudin interpretation of this uh, michael shabon wrote an essay of apology mm-hmm. and it was an apology to all the people because he'd worked with scott rudin for years it was and he was just like i knew and it's a really long apology where he details like instances where like he was outside a waiting room uh waiting for scott rudin and uh an assistant walked out and didn't know that he was in the waiting room and scott rudin threw a pencil at the assistant and missed the assistant but like and michael chabon went in just like huh um ted and i uh you want to talk or we went ted's been going to the movies more than i have but last night he and i went and saw the new guy Ritchie movie wrath of men the amazingly titled wrath of men (laughs) Um it was I thought it was better than I was expecting
2: well but, you, yeah well you told us that they were getting some bad reviews right before we watched it so yeah I, my expectations were down so that helped you hadn't
0: read any bad reviews like
2: I that. uh no I hadn't seen anything I didn't know it was out I, I and I was telling him I'm I'm behind on guy Richie films I didn't know he did Aladdin of all things a live action Aladdin. right <laughs> right oh my gosh I that was like I, I and was you,
0: and you missed the you mentioned them all oh, three and I was I had forgotten all of them but it was Aladdin Arthur. uh King Arthur and Gentleman which you said is good yeah. and if you other people that,
2: yeah that's good good that's good and Aaron liked it you know our, our
0: friend Aaron Smith who loves in the movies
2: but uh yeah but this one you know I I, I t- I've been telling everybody that Jason Statham is the uh he's our he's this era's is Charles Bronson so and, and you know if you know anything about Charles Bronson he's he's you know he's got a great persona he can get you through a bad film
0: he can be one note but, but he, entertainingly one note well, right
2: but and they, but if he's in a great film like you know Walter Hill him in hard times or He's in a Once Upon a Time in the West. He's wonderful. He's just amazing, and then then he got to sit there a lot of Jay Lee Thompson films, which are just, know. <laughs> uh, and they just uh, so I think Jason does that a lot. He does a lot of mediocre work, and they but he but then he'll be in something like a Guy Ritchie film. Well, the, I mean, that elevates him a little bit. It's
0: based on a French film from two thousand four, and we. Um, I looked it up afterwards and just blanked on this, but it obviously it made sense. Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie. The J- J- Guy Ritchie's the man who made Jason Statham. Like there's their fourth collaboration. Yeah. And Jason Statham, especially after the Fast and Furious movies, he's a very specific person in these movies where he's his own persona, kind of just kind takes over. Stoic. Well, no, it, it's, you almost, it's fine that he's playing himself and he's always in he, half his appeal is like he's so pissed off that he has to be in the movie. And, But I mean, this is the first time he's worked with Richie since then. The movie, line, the movies better than we than the the ads say. And and, I and, and, okay. And don't and
2: don't look. That's apparently don't watch the trailer. It gives too much away. Our friend Aaron
0: said that oh. the trailer
2: ruined too much. And then, film. uh, the, the uh, I thought it was interesting too that he uh, Richie pulls back on the gymnastics, the cinematic gymnastics, like in Sherlock Holmes, where you know he just goes crazy. We didn't. This it, is really he pulls way back. It's very primitive.
0: We didn't talk about this, but I looked up also when it shot and it started in November. And Guy Ritchie's got big budget, so these shoots can go a long time. It could have gone a little into quarantine, but there was a few shots in there that looked like basically they were shot with one actor at a time. Like they were com- mm. like actors were composited in, and you could tell. Like it was mainly first act stuff. Some of the acting seemed just slightly slightly off with great actors. Anyway, it was, and
2: I, and I also thought it was interesting that Guy Ritchie has his own style, but I thought he was pulling uh, this film he was pulling from Craig Zoller yeah. and pulling from uh, uh Michael Mann uh speaking of which There's a
1: heat mm.
0: vibe to it it's kind of mm. like Guy Ritchie's heat in a weird way Are you maybe. not a
2: Zoller fan have you seen any uh Uh his...
1: what what are some movies that he's done?
0: He did uh Bone Tomahawk uh okay. Brawl and Cell Block 99 and to uh, Across Concrete with Bill Gibson
1: Um yeah just listening to your um description of the movie uh, I love Jason Statham. I love his like more trashy action type movies. And when you're saying it's veering a little bit more towards the Michael Mann vein, I'm I'm getting a little worried here. <laughs> well, no, no, not
2: not not the not the artsy fartsy man. More of just the that's a little bit of the visual aesthetics in some ways.
0: It, we, I turned to Ted halfway through for a certain point because so much of it's about. Uh, 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 armored cars being robbed so i was like oh this is okay. him doing his movie of the bank heist in heat so there's like, like his movie action robbing.
1: there's yeah. action scenes is oh, yeah. like an action movie
0: and, and a big machine gun shootout like in heat we're we're gonna bring okay. up our our old movie club but uh rock and rolla was the uh one you liked that you you had one week? yes
1: i did bring that to a movie club yeah Yeah, I think I like Guy Ritchie. I mean, I some of his movies. I think it goes up and down. You know, I like some of them, and then like Rock and Roller and like Revolver was made around the same time, or I think it's Revolver. Yeah, with Jay. Revolver, we were
0: both. We were both saying that we haven't seen that.
1: Oh, it's bad. Don't.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) the the first time I
2: saw it was uh, it was uh, on sale at Walmart. Was how I first saw it. So. I don't know if that says anything.
0: All right. Are we ready to do the keep, Lonnie? I, can, I think it, it'd it be I mean, interesting yeah. if you she's, do the... She's scaring me already now. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, leading the witness on here, but uh, I just remember my first reaction. So I just want to know, what did you think?
1: Um. Yeah, so the keep, well, do we need to do... Well, just my first reaction. Um, sure. I mean, it just seems... <laughs> It's just not very good, in my opinion. (laughs) So, as is my role, apparently, I'm here to uh, disparage things that Shane (laughs) 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 likes.
0: Well, well, okay. To be fair, the first time I saw this, the first two times I saw this, uh, to go into it, um, whenever I'm, whenever I moved to a new town, whenever before streaming, you'd always my first thing to do was scour the video stores. So. I saw this movie when I moved to Louisville and got it at wild and wooly. And I thought the movie was a fucking mess. And years later it was on streaming and I was in LA at the time. And I wanted to show a friend, like you got to see like you love Michael Mann. You got to see the movie he made. That's a mess. And we watched it and I just kind of was, we mainly pointed out Ian McKellen. It's one of his first movie roles. Mm-hmm. And, He hasn't quite adjusted to the film medium. Like, his... Ian McKellen's (laughs) yelling has not changed much, and he does a lot of yelling in this. And it's also... He has some age makeup that does not help his performance through some of the sequences. But I started to gradually, like, think, like, something... There's some stuff, like, could have worked. And every time I've watched this, this movie looks interesting. The design is great on the movie. You just see it's a mess. Um, And then it's when I it's only in the last year or so uh, the one of the last screenings i had before the pandemic in february of 2020 i drove down to nashville to see this movie in 35 millimeter with a giant fan base of pe- people who really love this movie and also understand that this movie has a lot going against it. It's just an unfortunate movie. Like, Michael Mann's cut of this is three hours and 20 minutes, and the theatrical cut is a little over...
2: Was that, was that, you know. was that three hours and 20 Was that was fine
0: cut, or was it a work print? It was something they, uh, sho- uh, 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 they showed. It was something so they So it sh- was all done. Uh, it wasn't done done, but it was sh- it was shown at a test screening. and I'm I, sure I mean, the- I
1: have to think that that was, like, not the final...
0: Purchase. Well, he was demanded <laughs> to get it to two hours, but if you say like right. you cut a movie by more than half, and then you watch the final product and you're like, "This is a mess," there's a pretty obvious culprit. And the more you watch, I love this movie, the more I watch it, and really? <laughs> yeah, seriously. And the more, it's just uh, because you wait to get to me. Yeah, I, more,
1: <laughs> well, if you've seen it several times, I mean, you obviously you must. Enjoy something.
0: <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, you more you watch this, the more you realize this movie's flaws aren't because of the, the reasons most movies are that are messes are messes where it's like hubris or a lack of talent. Like, there's just so. I mean, Wally Weavers, who's supposed to do the special effects, died two weeks into post production, so they mm-hmm. had to completely replan the ending. And mm-hmm. um, so you mentioned doing the plot synopsis. Uh, not it, uh, Ted. Do you want to do the <laughs> plot synopsis or Lonnie? Who, who? Because this, this is a mouthful. Well, it sounded like Lonnie was ready to go in the plot synopsis. So
1: oh, there. well, you know, I just wondered should we say what it's about before we get too far? Is that talking your way of getting out of movie? it? To... I'll do it. I mean, it's, it's simple, really. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a simple plot. So it's uh, 1941, Romania, the Carpathian Mountains. These people cannot get a break. They are uh, constantly, it's not monsters, it's Nazis. And uh, the Nazis, some, um, I guess, uh, anyways, some uh, Nazis show up. They find a large structure called the Keep. They decide to take it over as their base in this uh, village, even though they're told, like, nah, you shouldn't do it. They meet, (laughs) I mean, we can get into more details, but they're told not to. They realize it's probably, um, you know, Something is being hidden in there. And then pretty soon, one of the soldiers uh, digs into the wall and releases an evil spirit that then starts killing off the soldiers. Some more, like, worse Nazis arrive. And then there's Uh, crazy... SS. yeah. Led by Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. There's some uh, weird writing on the wall. And so they go find this uh, Jewish professor to translate it all, and that is Ian McKellen and his daughter. They are in a concentration camp, and they're brought to this village to uh, translate it, which he translates it, and then they put him in a room and he doesn't leave for the rest of the movie, and uh, meanwhile Scott Glenn uh, wakes up in Greece in a storage locker or something (laughs) And then charters a boat and a motorcycle and makes his way to the keep. <sighs> For what purpose? We're not sure. We'll he find up, out. He
0: wakes up in his eye. He's a mythical creature or something. His eyes glow in his introduction. Well, that's
1: yeah, that's what we have to come to believe. Um, his <laughs> his role out. is not really explained. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, the uh, the malevolent uh, demon that was being held in the keep. Is still terrorizing everyone, but he does rescue uh, Dr. Kuza's daughter from being raped and then heals Dr. Kuza, the uh, E. McKellen character, from his uh, illness. Which is and,
0: like aging, significant aging.
1: Well, it's scleroderma, which, oh. yeah, is, I mean, he's in a it's wheelchair eating he's, him yeah, up, yeah. Aged, I just thought yeah. it was a
0: Star Trek, Star Trek thing.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and so Ian McKellen agrees to uh, help. This is simple now, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, he agrees <laughs> to help the demon. And then the demon's like going to get stronger in a, like a couple days. But then there's finally he just uh, kills all the Nazis and he has a battle with Scott Glenn.
0: I'm kind of impressed that you got that much plot out of your first viewing. Like, my, my first one is, like, I've like, Oh, you
2: didn't. Oh, I. You did get that out the first one. I was so confused. I oh, mentioned. really? I.
0: I want to read a quote. So when I saw the bell cord the the person I wish I could. I looked tried to look up his name, but the guy that led the the um the screening, uh, had written an article on this, and the sh- his, the screening notes were basically what he had written. He was very passionate about this movie, but one uh, quotation in particular that that really. This is the kind of film where a character turns to look in two directions, and between the first and second, about four chapters worth of plot happens. This is the kind of film where the two main adversaries of the piece are not mentioned by name until the last four minutes of the film, and even then, only in passing and only once. Author F. (laughs) Paul Wilson was so disgusted with the end result that he wrote a short story called Cuts about a horror writer who uses a voodoo doll to kill a director who'd misadapted one of his stories.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me let me let me backtrack and tell okay. you. Uh, I saw this in 1983 when it came out in the theater. And you were, were you were you were a thief fan? Well, yeah. That's I I uh, I had saw Thief and I just. Totally, I go, this This is, Michael Manns, here's a, a, a brand new director I've discovered for me because he only had to done TV work up to that time. Did you pay attention to any of the TV work? No, I mean, right? Vegas, I was like, that's just... Because that's, he's, cause he's yeah, only got, like, writing credits. Complete story and stuff like that, you know. And then I did. I knew about, I knew Jericho Mal was getting some uh, an Emmy Award and stuff, uh, but I didn't really, I never saw it. Uh, but then I saw Thief and I go, oh my gosh, I love this guy. The visual style, the Tangerine Dream score, the editing uh, uh, the performances. Uh, Robert Protsky was just amazingly evil uh, as a gangster in this film. So I was like, I was primed. I'm like, okay, I'm 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 it. I'm Michael Mann fan. Okay, let's go. And I'm one of these guys who, once I latch onto a director, I will watch everything the director does. I I, I, I will, I'll follow directors even with their weak films or their bad films. I'm going to be with them. Uh, and obviously something went wrong on this film, <laughs> but. I was, I liked it. I mean, I was sat there, I was by myself. Did you know
0: right away something was wrong? Well,
2: I, Well, I think I walked away. And of course, at that time we had Siskel and Ebert. What little, we didn't have Rotten Tomatoes back then, but I think I was getting the buzz that this is, uh, this is a failure, this is a bomb, this is not doing what it should have done. And I think maybe I, I knew that maybe a little bit. I think it was on one of the covers of uh, a film magazine at the time because they were expecting good things from Michael Mann after Thief. And it was a big budget film. It's a big thing. Is it, it, was, it was a sophomore jinx? But anyway, I, I, I look beyond the the failures, and the flaws, and some of the visuals, the Tangerine Dream Dream score, some of the you know the the whole. Uh, there's some subtext I want to go into eventually. We'll talk about here okay. at, at some point. But I I was I was hooked like you know the opening that that long shot tilt down that just goes on forever, and then I noticed at the end it it, it goes back up. Uh, you know there's wait it, wait which ending, Dad? Oh uh, yeah, and. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, the theatrical ending. Um, yeah, no, but, I, I know. But Sorry, but anyway, no. the, uh, it's just, so I and I, I knew it was a flawed film, and it
0: quickly, is it a cult film? I mean, how solid a cult film is it? It's pretty strong. I, I think one thing that has come up that I didn't realize until the screening is how beloved the novel is. And the novel is the start mm. of a six-book cycle called, uh, Wilson originally called it the Adversary Cycle, but eventually someone used the word Nightworld, and he liked that better so <laughs> um and so it's called the night world cycle and its i mean like you mentioned it's so dynamically shot like it, like um and is this slow would you call this slow cinema not for the trick of this that we're going to get into later is that this uh, it being a, a cut significantly cut movie the problem whenever a movie is cut down significantly um especially by someone that doesn't have the rhythms of the original storyteller Sometimes when you cut stuff out, it makes a movie feel slower, even though there's less to it, just because you're cutting out contacts that makes you understand why you're watching what you were watching.
2: Well, let me give you a exa- good example of the slow cinema I'm thinking of. Like when he's in the the the, the, the boat, and he, he uh, charters in Greece. It just sits there for a long time. And it's beautiful.
0: And it, but it goes, you know, I think a, a, a general viewer would go, why are we on this boat shot for so long? Supposedly one of the big things that was cut is the, uh, the weapon that he gets on the boat. There's a giant explanation of the weapon.
2: Well, yeah. Well, well. Now, watching this film in preparation for this uh, podcast, I'm I'm almost you. You can almost see where the edits are. You can almost. I've so many times I've seen it. I go, oh, it's missing a gap there. Oh, there's. Oh, all of a sudden he's there. Like oh, you said, McKellen didn't leave the room, but he actually he did, and that's a. Well, there was a kind of a kind of a boo-boo there. Yeah. All of a sudden he he's, he just walks out and he's at the end, and then he's all of a sudden bang, he's back in the room. And I'm yeah. like, you know, you could say, oh, wait, there's something wrong here. something. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there were scenes that were
0: ex- explained all that. Lonnie, I want to ask you about one of the most <laughs> egregious cuts to me that every viewing comes up I find comical just because you, you might have problems with Michael Mann as a filmmaker, but you got to admit that the guy's got a very romantic tendency. And he loves to put the movie like this, like very heavy lead-in uh, uh, romance in the movies. And in this one the two the romantic leads in this movie fall in love and have tantric sex within 45 <laughs> seconds of having met each other.
1: Yeah, the, the whole sex scene, I mean, I can't even say that they fall in love, really. Um, it just feels very out of place. And pretty much, yeah, the whole, I don't know, maybe second half of the movie, basically after the demon appears to um, Ian McKellen's character, it just feels very choppy and you do feel those sections where it's like something like something is missing here <laughs> and yeah the 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 love the uh, sex scene is is a great example because yeah uh scott glenn's character is just in her room at the like town uh you know she goes to stay at like the inn and town and he's this is the there. one where i can
0: see the keep the room i can see the yeah
1: keep. and he's like well i'm staying and she's like okay and then they kiss passionately then there's a cut to them sitting somewhere outside where she asks him a question like where did you come from or why are you here then it cuts back to them yeah exactly exactly. like and they're like full-on having sex and it that goes on for a while like every conceivable angle except from below and then (laughs) and then like not long after you know it's like the next day you know in the timeline of the movie it's the next day and she's like totally smitten with him and he's like yeah I'm here to kill the demon and she's like but why did you come to me and become my lover and it's just like did you have any conversations with him at all <laughs> I mean it's yesterday
2: <laughs> and we'll have to address the alternate ending because I think there's a there's a good uh uh, basis for them connecting but it, you have to have that alternate ending
1: well the, uh, and I had to assume that when they first met he was using some kind of magical mind control to make her even <laughs> like you know jump in with him because it was just so sudden and I mean, and uh, knowing that he's some kind of magical creature you're like well and then she asked him why did you come and he says, "Because that he wanted to like touch to feel like a man connect does uh yes. yeah to touch like mortal men so <laughs> it's like he was just doing some exploratory work i guess
2: <sighs> did you lonnie let me ask you I, I don't this this might sound like a chauvinistic question or whatever but did her hair do look too modern for 1941 oh totally yeah. right. yeah
1: yeah she looks very modern in and her and eyeliner the d-
2: and the green and the, and that green top didn't seem
0: 1941 that she wears yeah. at the end of the movie. I
1: mean, I didn't think the costumes were great. I mean, the thing is, this movie has some really great looking parts. Where they make uh, a
0: big deal about like, like, like authentic <laughs> Nazi costumes too. There's like, like some uh, machine gun. Oh, Gabriel Byrne
2: looks like a like a full blown SWAT uh, 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 SS.
1: SS guy. SS, yeah, yeah. There's some things that definitely make the movie look feel expensive. And then there's also moments where it seems completely cheap. Like anytime they go inside, it just, (laughs) like all the interiors look very cheap. And the makeup, like you mentioned, E. McKellen's makeup.
0: The E. McKellen's makeup is just. It's weird and unfortunate. I see. I, I I would disagree slightly on the going inside thing. There's just something about so much of the design in this movie that's really ambitious, but feels like it, they pulled the trigger on it a little too fast. Like the the main demon villain. I I I didn't even write down his name. Oh, it's, the, it's hard to pronounce. But it, yeah, Molossar. His evolution.
2: Right. You're talking about his evolution. The
0: design on him is actually pretty. Kind of swamp I, thing-ish. It's 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 got yeah. that it's got this like bizarre uh uh in no skin muscle muscular thing for one iteration of it. he hasn't and, got a skin yet. But at the same cool. time he like it starts
1: he, out as just pure like smoke.
0: Right. Which I thought yeah. it was
1: the coolest looking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, right. but you, you think for someone that's doing like, I always give Michael Mann credit for filming this stuff impressionistically or at least subjectively. And that, uh, for someone that's uh, every movie looks, this is, is such a lighting masterclass. Like, why are you lighting this thing so strongly? And like, with like, like there's no expressionistic lighting. There's no noir lighting. we it's just like, come on, maybe just don't show everything. Like just, just you, do some shadows here and there. Like, and but it's just straight on, and it's just like '80s optical printing, uh, bl- glowing eye stuff, and just rotoscoping stuff with that. And but there's stuff that like. One of my, what my oh, favorite, with the pullback. The, my favorite shot, honestly, is that that pullback <laughs> oh, reveal. Whenever, like, the, I don't know how the hell they do that shot where he put where it's um, the German and the nickel. Had, had the German
1: the soldier peeks in. Yeah. and he first pulls across because off it starts the wall, out for a live
0: action shot, and you go further. That's yeah. where the,
2: that's where all the money went, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <at the> <laughs> and
1: it the pulls movie. back so far. Yeah, that looks cool. And then a beam of light flies back up to where yeah. the German soldier is, and the, I didn't think that looked as cool. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the pullback was really good. Cause it there's was, de- was going and going.
2: And maybe you like where well, you were, uh, maybe this is one of these problems again, where it, 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 it the CGI, uh, well, the special VIX guy passed away. That's mm-hmm. uh, right. and, and then the CGI is just not there. Wally, to do pull off what they need to pull off.
0: Wally Beavers has a pretty storied career. Um, he's, he, I don't know what he did on 2001. He's credited on 2001, but his main credits are 2001 diamonds are forever. Superman, uh, He's also credited as a special effects man on your one of your favorite local hero, Rocky Horror, Doctor Strangelove, Excalibur, Juggernaut, and The Man Who Would Be King.
2: And and John Box is that the, nobody will sneeze at either. And his credits, uh, the you know the production designer, uh, mm. yeah, uh, uh, David Lean films, mm. you know and stuff.
0: Well, I think part of this is uh, Michael Mann worked in TV. Worked fast. Uh, I don't know if he directed in TV. I don't think he did. Uh, the one example we know pre Thief, Lonnie. Uh, I mentioned our movie club earlier. One movie mm-hmm. I picked to watch, which yeah. I picked because I'd never seen it before and it was on YouTube. So it was an excuse to watch it. Jericho Mayo, his very first right uh, feature length movie it wasn't it wasn't it's, a, a, it's
2: an american it was shown on television here in america but they right. act, it, it got it got such critical acclaim and did so well they they released it in theaters in europe do you
1: remember mm-hmm. anything about it
0: cuz i don't really remember much about it beyond
1: i mean you know, i yeah i remember the plot i mean it's about a guy who goes to prison and then starts running and mm-hmm. the running is kind of his rehabilitation you know mentally um, it
2: was the realism of the uh, of the uh, in, inmates that that really stuck yeah. out. The writing of that
0: it was, it was no what, no I, I mean I mean I thought you hadn't seen it.
2: No, I've seen it since then. I didn't see it back in the day.
0: Oh, but I, oh <laughs> I, I have a DVD. I, I okay. watched it. Yeah, I, I it was back to the video <laughs> I, I'm just about
2: 1983. I'd right, only right, oh, right, oh, yeah. right. Back I, to
0: the video store conversation. That was one of the ones I rented at uh, I Love Video when I first moved to Austin and put the VHS in my V and it, it, the VHS <laughs> didn't work anymore. So I had oh, to wait no. years before we watched it.
2: Can we also say maybe that, uh, can we say that Michael maybe just bit off more than he could chew for a second well, film?
0: This is the point I'm going to make that Michael Mann, like, yeah, he he was doing a lot. And later he would be a type of director, most notably uh, when you get to Miami Vice, but he'd be the person that would completely rewrite his ending and completely reconceive the ending. And Michael Mann, to a certain extent, even though he made his name in TV and would continue throughout the 80s, and I guess- Well, what he does he la- do
2: after this? He goes back to TV. He retreats to TV. Miami, I, think, Miami, I yeah. think it's a retreat. Oh, totally. You know, and then he comes back you know, with the Manhunter, which will be, and then they, where he's back on his game.
0: Well, know. my point is that, like, he, th- he learned a lot from this, but- this is he, this is he's never, this is basically a horror fantasy movie, and he's never done anything with fan, fantastic remotely close in. to that,
2: probably. And since then, yeah, you're right, yeah,
0: he's not everyone's wanted to see a sci fi Michael Mann movie, but and because it was, oh, what? yeah, that's Walter Hill. I was gonna
2: say super uh, supernova, that's Walter Hill. That he, no, Ted, I'm no. sorry. Um, uh,
0: <laughs> but I mean, there's this vibe that like this could have been if this had worked. Like, I mean, did you guys pick up on like a very darker Raiders? Indiana Jones vibe because I mean you got um, sure. uh, mysticism's Nazis uh, well, going the after the evil writers. incarnate. One of the one, one of the Nazis, yeah, is yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Lonnie, are you Lonnie? Are you not a uh, I uh, since I don't know you as well? You're not a Michael Mann fan at all, or overall?
1: Yeah, um, he really. is not someone i mean it's it's one of these things where it's not that i think his movies are bad necessarily i just don't respond to them as strongly as i see other people um sort of uh the man fans responding bet, like, to them the and i've movie, actually seen most of his movies and the last of the he is, is probably the one i like the best
2: yeah because um, it, it is and of course it's not it's a, it's a, it's a period piece as opposed he's known for his contemporary crime stuff you know yeah I just
1: uh yeah and I I'm trying to think like and you know I I thought Manhunter was okay I usually think like yeah this is okay but I'm just not crazy about it and uh and I never really get why people are so like crazy about it (laughs) as movies but that's just you know one of those things where it's like he's not someone that i'm going to seek out necessarily
0: interesting does it do do, do do they feel macho
1: um i mean yeah definitely there's that but that's not necessarily going to turn me off of i mean i like you know action movies and you know things that are you know whatever male centric but um i don't yeah i don't know i just think it's kind of yeah there's sort of just a hard cynicism maybe or just like very kind of yeah like uh um being very wrapped up in male identity and like the, what are some things, things like that that, that just sense. aren't like really grabbing me uh as a viewer what i was
0: reading one of the things that clicked click with me trying to figure out why i like him so much was um he was talking about one of the big movies he liked um when he was in film school was I want to say it was a, a G.W. Paps movie but it was like Pandora's Box. Or Joyous mm-hmm. Street. Joyous Street. Is that the one I'm He,
2: he name dropped that and I think I was just watching. On is, it, is it a Pabst movie? It's a Pabst movie, yeah.
0: And there's something he's one of those directors that he's he, for someone that's inherently a writer he feels like he could have been fine in silent cinema. Like he the movies feel very he doesn't shoot things in ways that feel like conventionally shot movies but he can still write and Ted and I were talking about this before, and you can give him any story, and he would probably figure out a way to shoot it in an interesting way more than any other director I know of.
2: I, I mean, and the one thing about him that appeals to me, I, I, uh, I'm a big surgey Leone fan. That's by my, that's my number one. i I have no debate on that. And and uh, whereas Leone, I see, in Leone, I see, in Michael Mann, they use everything, every element of filmmaking to the, is 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 uh, at their command, and they and it's you feel like. the that one thing is overlooked with their films as opposed to maybe some directors concentrate on the acting and don't worry about production design or some more design element and don't worry about the acting, blah, blah, blah. I mean, or the music or whatever. And I just feel like he's just one of these all encompassing artisans on a film that I, that speaks to me. I don't know.
1: I think, and uh, now I'm thinking about. It, I think one of the things that maybe turns me off from Michael Mann movies is the self seriousness. Um, well, <laughs> it's very, very serious, and I look at something like The Keep, which has a, I think, a good premise. And if it was done as like kind of a Hammer horror type style, with a little more cheesiness in a way, like not seriousness. <laughs> well, that's a good. I could see it being fun.
2: Yeah, it, it, yeah, you could actually make that a fun film. But that's that's what I think is interesting, even though, like I said, we all agree that it's, it's flawed in, in some way, in many ways, mm-hmm. in various ways. But I, here, I, I wrote this down, lined this up. You have, you got the God-fearing Christian Rome, Romanians, or the they would be uh, Greek Orthodox probably, right? And then you got good Germans, quote, unquote, good Germans, uh, led by Jürgen Procknow, Right. It's his first Hollywood American film, too. And I uh, think gives the
1: best performance than he. Has yeah, yeah I, I give you that <laughs> for sure. And then, and then you get the
2: bad German soldiers led by Gabriel Byrne, and then you got the ancient evil, and then you got the ancient good, the ancient guardian that's awoken because the ancient evil is let go, and that's his job is to keep him in the keep, uh-huh. and then you have the Jewish element. Uh huh. So you have all these elements playing off of each other, and then this, and some philosophy and existentialism, some about you know evil and good, going on, and and uh, you know, and usually when you evoke uh, concentration camps, that's like ooh, you got to be serious with that nowadays, and to have that in in a, in a horror fantasy film.
0: Well, you know, the first thing I jumped to was Ian McHellen in the opening of X Men
1: <laughs> Magneto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: but. <laughs> but it's just really i just i, I just thought that at the uh, i thought they were trying and then you know her name's eva eve uh so and he, mm. <laughs> i think that
0: that credit where credits dude that's wilson that's the that's in the that's in the novel i think's her name but um so uh, well going back to the to the the evil characters intro like the first few kills in this movie are pretty cool you got to admit that like
1: oh they, yeah i mean heads explode it's
0: <laughs> Bodies, <laughs> bodies are torn asunder. Um, th- so the, the vibe, like, you mentioned this is, uh, uh, technically this is in Transylvania. And so, like, I, th- there's a vibe I always got that, like, like the Dracula stories are supposedly based on, like, so many hi- historical antecedents, like Vlad the Impaler and all that. But there's this vibe that, like, um, in the book, they have it so that, like, all the Nazis have their blood drained from them. So like, there's that Satanic Dracula thing going on, or a different interpretation of it from coming from there.
2: Well, yeah, I I think there's the vampire element, there's the Faustian pact element, and there's the golem element. So you got three different horror strains also mixed in with all this, you know, this good. Are you saying
0: this is a good thing, a bad thing, or this goes against like? No, no. I well, I too much in the movie. Well,
2: I. I like that. And, I mean, because you know, Aaron always makes or our friend makes fun of me that you know, Ted doesn't like horror films, and I'm not. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I don't know if I would uh, want to see this as a cheesy film, even though I can see it, Lonnie. I could obviously see it done that way and have, 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 a, have a, be a lot of fun. But the fact that Michael was swinging at a, a big bat trying to swing, yeah. I thought that was interesting, and he and he succeeds a little bit, but it's edited and so choppy, yeah. it hurts it.
0: Can you you imagine this, Lonnie, as like, not to this high quality, but something where it was like a 2001 visual spectacular or a movie that like, where this, I keep saying it, this movie's unfortunate. Imagine all the elements involved click together.
1: Yeah, it's just like, I'm not really sure what it's trying to go for. Like if, yeah, there's, we're talking about different elements that could be played up, like the whole um, tension between, you know, the two Germans or, you know, the religious Stuff and whatever, but that's not really. They don't really get into it. And I
2: was, I was sorry. The fact that the Jew, following your line, the Jewish guy all of a sudden he becomes evil, right? Uh, and he's been in the concentration camp, you know. So that right. that was a kind of a nice, weird twist on that whole element. You don't, you wouldn't. uh That's what you're saying. All the different elements there. No, I think
0: I yeah. again. I, I mean, we we haven't. None of us have read the but, novel. I think right. I just think that's no book.
1: But yeah, the visuals are really strong a lot of the time, um, especially the exteriors, <laughs> and uh, and so I could see it if they went more into that what you're saying, sort sort of more in the visual, you know, atmospheric uh, went to went towards that, but it doesn't really go full fully in that direction either. And I, you know, at the end of it, I'm just saying there was no character arcs <laughs> they're like people that like who who was the main character who yeah yeah who were we following because, because scott, just...
0: scott glenn's whole thing with the uh, when you mentioned the alternate ending earlier like i guess the idea behind it is that he uh the only thing i like about the alternate ending is like when he opens his eyes they don't glow so he's become a mortal man right been pushing right. All.
2: well i guess we should we're gonna spoil alert everybody that, that <laughs> the, 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 the theatrical ending glint scott takes the monster out but he also gets taken out and so we're left in, on a freeze frame of the girl and we we assume that the the monster and the good guy are dead can i,
0: can I ask you both a question because i mean four viewings in there's still plot elements i don't get i kind of like started glimpsing some of the screenplay did you ever get the element that uh uh the scott Glenn character had created the keep well
2: i was let me finish my thought before we go to that okay uh the because the alternate ending he it, it, the freeze frame doesn't happen and all of a sudden, something compels her to go down and find him.
1: Right. And
2: also and she resurrects them with a kiss or a hug or whatever they do. And they look at the water in the reflection, and that's where I go, Oh, Eve, a new Adam and Eve," because they and he's cut and the, and he shouldn't come back to life, but he is because he had sex with her. He had connected with her uh-huh. with a human, and now right. that's the only because it looked like he was totally dead, uh-huh. and that's why. And so I think the sex that goes back to the. The the romance and the sex and the because they're connecting physically that she's able to do that at the alternate ending but they cut that off when they uh when they showed it in the theaters it's in the, it was on an NBC broadcast
1: <laughs> well or it could be implied that by like vanquishing Molasar uh Scott Glenn's character who's called Glaken could um, now bec- now became mortal like he didn't have to be that mythical you know gatekeeper or yeah, guardian yeah. anymore did
0: you guys get a sense that apparently in the script that uh, Glacan had created the keep? I don't. No.
2: I don't think the keep was kept, but I think it, it was more of a
0: devil uh, gatekeeper guy thing. I don't. know, But I thought and there's yeah. a line in the last few. I I kind of skimmed the last few pages. But of the my script. question is about the uh, uh. him
2: is. Uh, why did it? What? Why is he just sleeping in, in Greece? You know, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean
1: why, why are you over there?
2: Is he just kind of wandering around now, just waiting for it to be uh, activated? You know, and, and there's, something, there's something a little. What? Right
0: what? The, the pages I kind of glimpsed in the script. Now, obviously, you, this wasn't. It sounds like this wasn't filmed, or this wasn't ever shown in a cut. But that he could have destroyed. Um, uh, what, what was what was the the that the, the guy's name again?
1: Malasar.
0: He could have destroyed Malasar uh, if he had never created the key, but he wanted to create the key just so he could still live. But I guess that means he's just in dormant dormant sleep, waiting for him to awaken again, just because he didn't kill him in the first place. Uh,
1: unexplained.
0: And speaking of uh, his, you know, duty to take Cut. care
1: of him. Uh-oh. What?
0: No, I was saying that I, was cut in the is in the cut.
1: Yeah, to an and hour and, and a half. I,
2: I you know as much as I, I defend this film and I enjoy it and, and I look for it to be better and better each time I watch it or want to try or whatever. I, one thing I, I it fails me every time I can't stand is the little flashlight. <laughs> <that> <laughs> the flashlight. Emma Clarence going. It's just like of all the things. This you know, and it's a great sequence because I love the. Slow motion, and he's marching and he's marching and he's marching, and the music's building and building, a typical Mech O'Man building up scene. But he's got a little dorky flashlight. What's
0: so weird about that is there's shots, whether it's a flashlight, and then there's like one or two shots I caught where. Uh, it's not a flashlight. A it's huge close-up of that thing. Well, but but they actually they actually did some special effects work to get that light, and then it's yeah. pre- but it's preceded by a shot where it's a flashlight. It so, should you know it, yeah. it should have been like an ancient. It should have been the, the
2: staff and that object should have been like some ancient-looking thing. You know, I mean that's cliche, but I almost would have you know gone with that route. As I thought, maybe Michael's trying to be modern, put a little bit some modern twist into the period piece, but it just uh, it, but uh, yeah. Speaking of that, let me let me let me bring this up too while my uh you got the whole sequence where you know Emma just marching up and marching up, and then you got you know the, the it's this build up where he confronts them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh what is what is it called? Uh uh uh, uh a build up and release. Oh tension and release rith- rele- rhythm and release is and what that's I what saying.
0: Michaels he does it all the time. Yeah. I, I'm thinking
2: about in a thief when James Conn goes after the gangsters at the very end, uh-huh. and my in uh, Manhunter when he runs the window up to get. Uh,
0: uh... Well, this is an interesting point, Lonnie. Uh, you and I, if we want the version, I, I've only seen it the one time, the theatrical version, the one time. But the version that's available, Ted, let me borrow his Australian DVD, which is like the only official release. But streaming's the only way this movie's been shown most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- you, we we do need to talk a little bit about the Tangerine Dream score, but mm-hmm. uh, the streaming version that's available to most people is not theatrical. They had to switch out a few cues, and I'm wondering if that's one of the cues they might have had to switch out.
2: The the uh, I think I, I think I recognize the cues. The copy I watch, I have a bootleg of it. There's
0: oh. uh, there's a Thomas Tallis piece that uh, they redo. There's a Howard Blake song called a "Walking in the Air." Yeah, yeah,
2: and then like mm-hmm. and of course, the, you know the Mohicans has the one of the great buildups of the, going up the mountain at the end. Uh, when they, they, you know, Mag was going well, up. Well, the, there's also the really cool... Uh, Heat.
0: Man has this uh, thing where he, like, he did it in Thief, at the end of Thief, where Tangerine Dream, they cover a, a song where, I think it's Wish You Were Here. They do a Pink Floyd song at the end of Thief. Like, and I guess they just lost the theatrical the rights for this, but...
1: Yeah, so what did you think of the score? (laughs) I was going to
0: ask you what you thought of the score, because I know what I did.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I thought it mostly worked. I... You know, I think I've told you before, Shane, that I usually don't even notice the score oh, of yeah, a movie. Oh, yeah, you have
0: said that
1: to me before. I'm though. not a, someone who really um, dials into the score. But I do like when it's electronic music, I tend to <laughs> like the score better. Mm-hmm. And so this one, I thought it worked well in a lot of parts, but also some parts it, it felt out of place. So it was kind of mixed for me.
0: I mean, I, I don't know how much of that is just a different... I wondered if there was just a different cuts, but uh, whenever I saw the, the bell chord, and I was around all the passionate fandom for this movie, part of it was the score. And the Tangerine Dream, this score finally got its release only like about two or three years ago. But the last lines of this uh, opening are... Um, I, I just love this. Is, um, is it a satisfying abda- adaptation of the original book? Mm-hmm. That depends. Is it a wild, psychedelic, hard-hitting melodrama with lots of imaginative special effects and one of the greatest film scores of the 20th century, courtesy of Tangerine Dream? Absolutely. (laughs) Is there a chance that you're going to see anything else quite like this in a theater? Doubtful.
1: So I heard that the score, you know, Tangerine Dream did a lot of film scores, but that this one wasn't necessarily written specifically for The Keep. That they had kind of adapted pieces that were previously composed.
0: That sounds right. There, there was some, supposedly, it was just, um, they were filming Not to Picture before they started filming. And with the fact that they, the ending of this movie kept changing what it was, <laughs> that mm-hmm. they scored something without the ending. And um, I mean, later, Michael Mann's use of music's been. Uh, He's, he, he uses his music editor very judiciously let's just say he he know like he knows how to like score a picture without uh, a composer having to score a picture
1: I think it also definitely kind of gives it an 80s vibe to <laughs> the the score i mean I just kept thinking of other movies like um well like legend or yeah. <laughs> Risky business that have similar, like, you know, electronica scores. And well,
2: I was living through the 80s. I'm no fart. Uh, <laughs> I it was it was it was fun and fresh and new. And so when Thief and this one coming came along and Risky Business to me, the uh, Citizen Kane of teenage sex comedies. Uh, so I, I used that in my uh, review of it at the time. <laughs> uh, uh that yeah it was uh it was it was pretty cool I, I got a big kick out of it but yeah, you gotta be careful because Georgia marauder and, and Andrew Dream, so much, so many fifth scores could go so far you know uh, well there,
0: there's also that pastiche with um oh who's who does stranger uh stranger things the um based band uh um uh, but the, the fact that like the, the retro 20 year cycle the now 30 year cycle mm-hmm. is started to be redone in like a lot of. Uh, synth-based scores are starting to come back pretty strong. Uh, it follows Disaster Piece, like that was a pretty strong one. That... If I recall
2: correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember getting upset because, you know, around the you know as as the uh, decades went on, they started the uh, soundtracks became more with all the pop, the needle drops, and they wouldn't put the scores out to the you know along came Batman, Dick Tracy and stuff. So Vision Quest came out. I think that was a Tangerine Dream score mm-hmm. uh, with Matt, but they, they the soundtrack has only got pop songs on it. I remember going, ah, oh, wow. uh, I, I want the Tangerine Dream music. I don't want the p- pop songs. But
0: yeah. I will not correct you on that, Lonnie. Do you want to correct him on that? <laughs> I think
2: he, some, I think it was Electronic Score. I'm pretty sure it was Tangerine Dream. Well,
0: it's funny you mentioned Legend because by the time I finally got around, I'm a big Ridley Scott fan, but by the time I got around to Legend was when they put out the, um, I guess the College Director's Cut*, but it had like a Jerry Goldsmith score to oh, it. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. They, but the Jerry Goldsmith score, but the in, Tangerine yeah. dream
0: was a replacement and evangelist was blade runner score is One of my favorites. So
2: mm. yeah, Vangelis, I could forget him too. Yeah. George Giorgio and
0: Uh, like I, I, one thing I wanted to point out about E. McKellen's performance is part of the problem. I think I'm hard on the age makeup is I noticed this, uh, watching a few, uh, De Niro movies, uh, from going to 1900 all the way to, uh, once upon a time in America, and there's something about when you've seen an actor age on screen, when you see them younger in old age makeup, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's just a hard bar to cross. To, to yeah,
1: get, well, because you, know? you know what Eddie McKellen looks like. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and there was some, the, the joke I kept thinking while watching this was that his yelling throughout this. I just every time he yelled, I just kept going, "You shall not pass." Every time without passing. So. Um, yeah,
1: well, because he's also not. He's also doing a strange accent. He's not doing a Romanian accent. and apparently Michael Mann told him not to, but he's doing like an American accent. interesting <laughs> with a weird voice, weird quality to his voice.
2: Well, this is where I are speaking about talking about actors i I liked uh, it was nice. I thought Robert Prosky in Thief was a uh, was just a phenomenon. When so you it,
0: mentioned him in Thief, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, this and movie. so then he,
2: I like, I, I, I thought, oh, Michael's starting to build his little, you know, company of uh, reoccurring actors, you know, like every director does. And I thought also at one point, I thought Prosky looked like a, a a priest that stepped out of an Eisenstein film. Mm. Uh, when he when, he, when he sits down at the that. table and smokes a cigarette. I'm like, oh, that the angle and the beard and the everything. I was like, oh, it's Eisenstein. Well he's got he does have a crazy Russian priest. You're not a silent uh filmmaking. Also, (laughs) excuse me. Did you think I thought it was kind of curious that uh Jürgen Prakau and Gabriel Byrne were playing, I think, almost against Type, because I think Gabriel it's more, you know, he can play a person that you can sympathize with. So he, uh, he but he's playing the really bad German. But isn't this and, before and, they and, established their type? Uh, this, yeah. Because, well, we yeah. only, we, we had only seen Prognell no, as a, a U boat uh, in Das Boot. Basically, Americans had only seen him that. Mm-hmm. And probably nobody knew who Gabriel Byrne at this point was. What had Gabriel
0: Byrne done before this?
2: I don't know. A, I had to look Excalibur. it
1: up. Excalibur.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. With, okay. Yeah. There's all kinds of
1: interesting people in Excalibur. But, yeah. Go it back was pretty to, early yeah. film yeah. for him, too. Yeah. Wouldn't
2: so. be known. Oh, uh, Glenn! I thought that was interesting near the end when Glenn finally faces down the creature. Uh, he actually starts to take a little. They modified him a little bit. And they just, have.
0: They do the thing with the, uh, the neck, pe- the yeah. neck muscles. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I thought,
2: oh, that's cool. That's cool. He, he, when he gets closer to him, and he's, and he's going to have a showdown. He's starting to. His body's starting to look like right. his opposite of the person he has to find. Right. Um, and I liked. I remember thinking when I when I saw it in '83, I thought the the body overall look at the body even though now I know they didn't have all the money to really make it the way they really wanted to go I go oh this is Swamp Thing this is uh,
0: you you keep pointing out Swamp Thing and I I see it now yeah I I I, totally see it I didn't see it before I uh, the one thing I found that works more even though it still looks so fake is the fake uh, eyes everybody especially Scott Glenn's (laughs) eyes like they look but they 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 stick out in a good way. Like, I, I think it's that first shot that his intro always works for me. Like, uh, <laughs> if there's something that's so cheesy and bold. And another thing, Lonnie, like, I get what you're saying about the self-seriousness. But when a Michael Mann movie works for me, it feels it's grounded yet operatic. So, like, these bold moves or these big moves that can seem silly, which... Most and so, of, to some people, it is silly. I was going to say, most of this movie, it feels silly. A lot
2: of general, I think a lot of going, it's it's slow, it's artsy, and it, it, I mean, a, I a, like... a, it, it overboard with the music. But some of that, I go, man, go for it. Let's just go for right. it. I'm with you. Let's go over the cliff together. You know. <laughs> uh, Let's go over the cliff together. But uh, I should mention, uh, uh, one of the designers uh, was uh, one of the fascinating things was the Inky illustrator, ba- Inky He's Inky uh, yeah, Bilal. Yeah, B I L A L. B I L A L. He's a major, major European graphic name. novel artist. And speaking of graphic novels, we should also mention that. Oh yeah. Yeah, that uh, uh, Wilson was so upset with the movie, he uh, got an artist and did his own miniseries and put it into a, uh, and collected it into a trade as a graphic novel, uh, the, the way he thought it should have looked. And he so, wanted to
0: do a visual adaptation on his mm.
2: own. So it's out there if you want to see what Wilson would have liked to see how the film should have been.
0: If he had been able to kill the director with a voodoo doll. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, and then we should also the uh, the fairy tale. Michael Mann actually uses the word fairy tale and then we got this documentary that's still being edited, it's still worked on. Yeah. Uh, that they uh I I the the first time they put an indie go go up for it, I I contributed to it. I'm hoping I'm gonna get a copy of it if they ever get it finished. They I keep... don't
0: I don't remember the distinct distinctions, but they mentioned it at the Bell Court screening. Yeah.
2: It's but there's there's there's, there's, there's this guy who's a he's a the keep fanatic over I think he's in Europe, and he's just working on this thing forever and ever and ever. So hopefully we'll see the light of day of it.
1: Yeah, I saw that uh, about that documentary, and um, you know I feel like there's always going to be someone out there who's <laughs> you know they latch on to this, and I think this movie is just there's a lot of potential there's a lot of things that you can kind of latch on and then sort of uh, extrapolate in your mind like what it means or what it could have been and uh, but you know what we have is what we have and <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like...
2: <laughs> But but let me ask you this, Lonnie, do you have some do you have some fel- favorite films that are flawed and you could see what it could have been and should have been, but you love them anyway and and you actually maybe watch them more than the, the a really well made film?
1: Oh, I mean, sure, probably. I you know this, I can't think at the top of my head, but um you know i mean that's why i can't like disparage the fact that this guy w- wants to you know make a, do- a documentary about the making of the key but he uh, he clearly loves the movie and feels that it's you know it could have been a masterpiece <laughs>
2: yeah yeah i i mean i have a, like a little grocery list like pat Garrett, bill the kid or uh author pins the chase and a few things like that uh, even though some people argue the chase is good, but I mean, it's not, there's not a problem with it. But anyway. I like the chase. Oh, did you notice in the trailer? I don't know if you guys did. You guys I watched watch the trailer? One of the trailer I watched. It was it, it's it was chopped out real rough, but they were actually promoting it in 70 millimeter.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. There's there's deleted scenes that were in the longer cut that are in the trailer.
2: Yeah, and they were actually making a big deal that it was going to be shown in 70 millimeter in theaters. Yeah. So,
0: Lonnie, honestly, um, I hope. That you have the same journey I did with this movie, where, like, I mean, seriously, the second time I saw this movie, I was just sh- shitting on it and showing it to someone to like make fun of it, and I was like, there's something more to it, and it took a few years, but every time I've seen it since then, I, I, I there's, there's something to this movie, like, I, there's, there's, there's artistry to it, like, I forget I just, I don't pay attention to how batshit it is, I mean, there's that thing where like you have to get used to a movie and know what you're, you're gonna get out of it so you know, like, I can't be disappointed in this movie anymore. I know like <laughs> I already got through, got through that. And now all yeah. I see is, like, there's a lot of artistry potential, and I think the only disappointment really is just, like, what could have been, like, if this movie had worked, or if they, like... Yeah, like... And Michael Mann clearly learned from this movie and figured a lot out, so... Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Thanks for
2: uh, humoring analysis on this, movie. <laughs> <thing. laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I. I spoiler. could tell that. I don't think I'm gonna watch this
2: again. <laughs> I could. I, I could tell when we were talking about subject matters that her, her reaction was like, I, I don't know if she's really war- uh, super warmed up to this or not. No, I.
0: I and Lonnie, thank you for like. You, <laughs> no, this is you, great. You, you was, nailed. You nailed it at the beginning where yeah. you're just like, I. Yeah, I knew you. Like, we needed this viewpoint. This well, but at the same time, you were how I was when I first saw this, so I get it. So
1: sure, sure. Uh. Do you think that Vim Vendors watched *The Keep* and was inspired to make *Wings of Desire*?
0: <laughs> huh. uh, that... I can see it. I can <laughs> totally see it now.
1: The Scott Glenn character. <laughs> well, the... <laughs>
0: yeah, you nailed. Like, like if this movie had worked, I think a lot of the self-serious parts would have we wouldn't be talking about like why it didn't work, but it's it's one of the things, like if you could have lightened it up just a little, maybe it would have helped, but I mean, what kind of, like it's 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 a thing, like Nolan gets this like, accusation of not being funny and then like he'll like do a Joker character, but like, and there's stupid jokes in there, but what is funny in Michael Mann movies?
1: <laughs> well, I liked it at the beginning when they meet the caretaker, Alexandru of The Keep. And he says, what are you trying to, like, he's like, what is it? Is it ghosts, demons? And he goes, there are no ghosts here. Like, Dracula <laughs> being like, I don't drink wine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, humor and Muckle man films. I think, I, I guess, the only thing that I think I can think of is like, uh, the no nonsense of Hawkeye, uh, Daniel Day Lewis's Hawkeye character, his re- his retorts were always kind of funny because he was just so nonsensical. Uh, he'd give you a straight answer when you ask him, like you you go you you
0: turn left to king and you know and. Uh, you know what I'm thinking of is, and it's it's not in the it's not in the text. It's purely. Um, Pacino in Heat. Oh, and the thing oh about Pacino God. the thing about Pacino in Heat is I think it was like twenty years later they were at q and A Q&A and they casually revealed like oh yeah the whole reason Pacino acts this way is it's not mentioned in the movie but he's doing cocaine he has a bad cocaine problem and it's like okay that makes sense for the performance <laughs> but that's not in the movie how is that not in the movie yeah
2: uh, yeah but yeah that explains a lot because you I mean, it, it is funny but then you or if you're watching it sometimes you go go oh, this is Really overboard. She's got a big ass. <laughs> Have you seen Heat, <laughs> Yeah,
1: I I saw Heat back like yeah. when it came out.
2: Like, yeah. when you go, like when he go when he go he talks to the uh, <laughs> the, the, the rap artist. The, what was this? Uh, oh, you know, by the time I get to Phoenix, she'll be rising. You know, he starts singing the. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, matter. no yeah, no. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. I want to think. You know, that's isn't that a isn't that a big trope in in fantasy? literature of the guardian what awoken because of a ancient evil
0: well the thing i wanted to point out to you Lonnie, about um the vibe of this that it could have been if it didn't work um when i got the book i looked up the pull quotes on there and the writers that they had pull quotes from for wilson which again i have never read anything of his but it's people like peter straub or clive barker Mm -hmm. like so michael Mann, you know manhunter has its horrible elements um but like him, this is him doing a horror movie potentially or a horror fantasy.
1: Yeah, it just didn't really feel like a horror movie to me. More fantasy, I think. It felt
0: more fantasy. It does, but like I, I guess in my head, I picture like that when I, the when I got into this movie, I saw like. Obviously, it's 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 horrifying the way that everyone's getting killed, and like there's a, a gore thrill factor to it. So, but
1: it's, it's so dark you can't really even see anything. You just see like yeah. kind of chunks flying away. And
2: <laughs> yeah. I I I, I, I did mention I love that I love the long shot of when Gabriel Byrne goes up to him, and then it's, it's a cover shot, and you see all the all the, the the devastation around them, and and he's he thinks that little crucifix is going to stop him. Right, and, uh,
0: that was where I got the Dracula stuff from, just because um, because uh, he was trying to do the the crucifix to him and obviously it didn't work. But um.
1: yeah, the vastness of the keep was another interesting thing, and the geography of the keep was uh, seemed confusing, partially because of the editing, and partially I think it could have been intentionally like that because it is a magical place you're never like sure how big it is or like where the hallways go and it could have been some that could have been something interesting like in the shining where the hotel kind of is always changing around you you could right. feel disoriented by the geography of the keep but it just felt more like It was
0: just edited poorly. Well, it was funny you mentioned the editing aspect. One of the first places I ever heard about this movie was you introducing it to me, and you were talking about the alternate endings, and it was in the midst of a conversation. You you and I have ongoing about the constant Michael Mann re-editing of movies. Oh, everything. He's constantly re-editing movies. That are in theory, theory, are most of them are successes, and he's re-editing. And this is the one where he's just like, done, I can't oh, fix this.
2: Yeah, and I didn't even mention how I, I stumbled across the alternate ending. I don't know if it was the the broadcast premiere. I don't know, because I don't know if I knew back then Michael would does all the twiddling he does after a post-production. But I actually, I work at an NBC affiliate, and they aired uh, The Keep. And I stuck a VHS in, in the VHS recorder at the station, and recorded right off the NBC feed, and lo and behold, I got the alternate. I'm like, and I'm freaking out. I have, I had my own personal copy. You know, got bootleg uh, and, and on the on the bootleg circuit, but I I had my own copy of it. I was, and I and I couldn't believe it. And then as we as we talked, he is he is. I think almost every single film there's variant versions out there. And you almost And if you're a stickler, uh, there's two. You know, there's the,
0: like two or three movies he hasn't done. It's like Thief and. Uh... Even thief has an extra cut they put back in on the laser disc when they went to home video. They put an extra scene in there. Was the one he
2: because uh, even even black as late Insi- black cat, insider he, 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 he insider might have not been touched because uh, there's an Ollie special edition.
0: Ollie's the one that deserves a special needs <laughs> a special edition.
2: And there's about four or five Mohicans. I could uh, I, I I used to keep track of them.
0: Collateral, I don't think has changes.
2: Yeah, you're right. Maybe not collateral. The collateral one and, and uh, the that one you said. Oh, I want to also mention. I thought. I kind of really—I think we talked about—we uh, did talk about it in the podcast. I really liked the—I really like that look of the creature. Oh, I like it when he was yelling, like "Who did this? Who killed them?" I mean, you know, I want to—I will—I will take. And I thought, oh, this is kind of a cool concept. And of course, you know, how he, and how he pieced it together. The more he killed, the more he became, you know, solid. And uh, so there was really some that aspect to it. So it was really cool, and it just. It really hurt in the post production. They didn't have the 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 the, the talent and the. Money. I don't
0: know what Wally Weavers could have done because, like, I don't I haven't read of him much on him. But the the one effect that like is pretty notable and memorable in film in film history is he was the one that did a lot of Superman flying in the Donner Superman. Hmm. And I mean that's a rear projection or front projection thing. I, I don't know. I mean like I, yeah, yeah. I mean like some of the effects at the end and it's weird because a uh, man is is characterized that he had to do all the effect shots after viewers died similar to the way Kubrick takes credit for all the effect shots in 2001 which to, to Kubrick's credit he did design a lot of those shots but he had a lot of people on there and I'm curious how much a director actually having to do special effects shots is not common it's just not common so mm. yeah uh, Lonnie, Ted thank you guys for being on the podcast you're welcome
1: yeah sure